0: Well, good morning, Centennial Covenant Church. In case you came in late, um, my name is Steve. I used to hang out here quite a bit, and it was four years ago I literally handed a baton, a lead pastor baton to Carl, and i got to tell you, it's, it's re- I'm really grateful for the opportunity to take you into God's Word today. I, I must say that I have some, as, as they say, a, some tough acts to follow, last week Dave Williams' Was up here, blessed by his, his word, and Dale Flanders a few weeks ago. And of course, then there's Carl. Uh, we worked together many years. What, what an extraordinarily gifted um, man he is. One of his many gifts is that um, Helvig preaches without notes. You know how that goes? I have notes. <laughs> and I may not look at them, I may not follow them, but it's my feeble mind's lifeline. Now, I don't know if it's it's to bolster my confidence or tease my friend, but I saw this picture. (laughs) Now, no judgment. Um, I love Carl, and, and very seriously, I think he's been a great, great gift to our church family. Anybody agree with that? Yeah, I know you have more enthusiasm than that. Really grateful for Carl Helvig. Hey, let, let's, just, uh, let's just pray together for a moment, okay? Thank you, God, for uh, this time in your word. I, I pray that, um, Lord, it wouldn't be any notes we follow or just our own thoughts, but it would be you speaking to us through your word by your spirit. And I pray that I could be a way and not in the way of whatever you want to give us, whatever you want to say. We pray this in the presence, the name of the risen Jesus, amen. Okay, my friends, so now my notes say, look at New Testament letter to Hebrews chapter 7. So would you find that in a Bible, Hebrews chapter 7? And uh, while you're looking for that, let me just tell you a story. Uh, Years ago, I think it was 15, 16 years ago, I was at a pastor's retreat in North Carolina in the... Uh, beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains. We would call it the Blue Ridge Hills, I think. But I decided to go on a hike one day on a trail that I'd been on the day before, went out of ways. It looked like it might rain, so I decided to head back, and I decided I'd get on a trail that I hadn't been on the day before, thought it was maybe a shortcut. And uh, before long, I knew I was off the trail I knew I was lost. Uh, for one thing, I saw a bunch of dilapidated uh, trailer homes, and they, had, they all had these conspicuous signs, no trespassing, uh, beware of dogs. And uh, very near me was this uh, junk-strewn yard trailer home with a German Shepherd and a Rottweiler, thankfully they were chained, but they weren't very hospitable. I'll just put it that way. They were letting me know that they weren't happy I was there. Well, then this guy comes out of the trailer home, young guy, he's uh, no shirt, bib overalls, Confederate cap, got a shotgun, and he says, what the heck are you doing here? He didn't use the word heck. (laughs) And some of you know what I mean when I say I was starting to hear banjo music, Okay, if, if you've seen an old a couple of you. Anyway, so I said, Well, I'm lost. I, I, I was at the retreat center and just lost the trail. And so while cussing out the dogs who were still barking, he gave me some kind of complicated directions. And then he said, Ah, what the blankety blank. Get in my truck, I'll take you there. And, and it was kind of, kind of amazing. Well, balancing a plastic cup of some kind of hard liquor. And going over this bumpy, bumpy, bumpy meadow, you know, in this truck, uh, finally went over a little ridge, pointed to a shack, and said, does that look familiar? And that was the trail. Now, I was a little surprised by the kind of help I got, but was I ever thankful for the help I got from this stranger? Now, the reason I tell you that story is because we're going to look at a kind of a complicated, almost weird passage leave it to Carl, assigns the old guy the hard passage. Actually, I'm excited about it, but um, it's a passage that uh, in a lot of ways is really simple. It says, we all need helpers. Now, if you fall asleep, that's the message, okay? Now, now, hang, hang with me a little bit, but we all need helpers, and specifically, what I want to talk about is we all need what I'd call priesting. We all need Bridges, living bridges to hope, to life, to God ultimately. And thankfully, God sends these mediators, these advocates, these bridges uh, to Himself. Ultimately, He sends one, which is the big message of Hebrews. And the thrust of the whole letter, the thrust of the whole letter is that God does send the one high priest the mediator, the advocate named Jesus. But that includes the fact, as you see in the rest of Scripture, that the mediator, the bridge to the living God and to hope and to life has what Scripture calls a royal priesthood, uh, living bridges to the bridge. And so Israel is called a royal priesthood, the body of Christ, us, us we're called a royal priesthood. We are bridges to the bridge, which is Jesus himself. And this royal priesthood includes, if you look at the Old Testament, the whole Levitical priesthood, uh, the chosen few who were called by God to represent the people before God, especially through prayers and sacrifices, a whole priesthood bridging system. But here's here's what the author of Hebrews has been saying, and really it's the thrust of the whole of chapter 7, is that this system of bridging to God is secondary, it's temporary, and it's imperfect. It's secondary, temporary, and imperfect. And here's the problem that the author's going to address. The problem is that, we can get stuck. We get stuck on imperfect and temporary bridges to the bridge. And that's the kind of question I want to ask today. Are are there any ways we get stuck and in the process miss the very best, we miss what those bridges are pointing to, which is Christ himself. Now to drive home this kind of word, especially for these Jewish Christ followers, what the author does is to give a scriptural example of a priest, and here's the thing, this priest is an outsider. He's an outsider to the system of the whole Jewish uh, priesthood. And the thing is, he's kind of strange, and the whole thing is really surprising. Uh, so let's look at Hebrews, and to begin with, in chapter 5, the, here's a guy that gets mentioned several times in Hebrews. Hebrews. Jesus became the source of eternal salvation for all who believe, who obey him, and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. He mentions Melchizedek a couple more times. Now we go on to chapter 7. Here's the main text today. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God most high. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the son of God, he remains a priest forever. Just think how great he was. Okay. Who in the world was Melchizedek? Well, somebody who's a little more familiar is Abraham, mentioned here in the text. Uh, Abram, as he was originally called. And his story goes back to Genesis chapter 12, where where he's uh, way east of what would become the promised land, and he's uh, given a call from God, he's given a promise to God. God says to Abram, uh, head west about 1,000 miles I'm going to make you and your descendants into a great nation. This great, great nation will be blessed. And this nation will, will be a blessing to all nations on earth. So Abram and his family, they take off. They head west. They settle in to, what, uh, to Canaan, what becomes Israel. And uh, we get to Genesis chapter 14. And you've got this kind of strange story of a bunch of battles going on between some tribal chieftains. They're, they're called kings, but they're really just sort of vi- village warlords. And uh, five of them attack five towns. They, they kidnap some people. They, they take, uh, amongst others, they take uh, Abram's nephew named Lot. And so Abram and his 300 men go to the rescue. They're successful. Uh, you can read that in Genesis 14. And as they return, out of the blue pops in and out a mystery man. And here's what Genesis 14 says. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. That, that's interesting, isn't it? He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Now, we don't hear anything about Melchizedek in the rest of Scripture until a thousand years later, the great King David is composing a psalm. We now call it the 110th Psalm, and that's where he describes a coming king, and it's all about a coming king who's going to defeat enemies, judge the enemies, but this king and we would say David is talking about the ultimate Messiah, the anointed one. This king will also be a priest, and he says, a priest forever, God says, a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, going way back a thousand years prior to this strange mystery man that showed up with Abram. And that's what, that's what the New Testament latches onto, in fact, the 110th Psalm, it's, it's kind of interesting. It's the single most quoted psalm in the whole New Testament. It's really important to the early church. And, and so the author of Hebrews, especially here in chapter seven, latches on to that, uh, that line from David. And, and you see in chapter seven, as we just read, this Melchizedek, he, he blesses the great, great uh, Abram, receives offerings from him. Uh, he's a king, he's a king of righteousness, he's a king of peace. Uh, he's also a priest he's an advocate, he's a mediator who represents people before God, and and then he's also this one who resembles the Son of God a couple thousand years prior. Uh, He, in distinction from the holy priesthood of Israel, is the most like the Messiah. He he most reflects the actual Son of God. He's the one who anticipates, even more than the whole system of the priesthood, who Jesus actually is. And you read the rest of chapter 7. We're not going to go into that in detail, but it's a wonderful description of, of the superiority of Christ over the priesthood and describing Christ as the high priest who's perfect, who's permanent, the one who gives a better covenant, a better bond between people and God, a better hope, and goes on to say he's able to save completely through his once and for all sacrifice. That's what you find in the rest of chapter 7. But, but you see, what you have here is this strange outsider, this strange outsider who becomes the most like Christ, the most who anticipates Christ. Now, now just a, a quick comment. When it says that he doesn't have mother or father, it's not saying that he's, he's some some alien, he, that he's not human. It's just saying he doesn't have, he doesn't have the genealogy, the, the, the lineage that goes back to the Levitical priesthood. He's an outsider. He's a stranger. Uh, but that's the way God seems to like to work. In fact, you look through the Old Testament, we have time to list very many examples, but you look through the Old Testament, there's, there's all kinds of outsiders that God raises up to bless and guide the insiders, called Israel. Uh, For example, here you have this patriarchal society, and you have some women like Rahab and Ruth. They're foreigners, but they're the ones. They're women, for one thing, but then they're foreign women. They're pagan women, but they're the ones that come in as God's messengers. And they anticipate uh, what you see in the New Testament, where uh, the very first to worship the infinite God become man, are a, a, a few outcast shepherds and, and these, these pagan uh, astrologers, uh, magi, wise men coming from the east, and, and anticipates then Jesus the way he, he commends the faith of, of outsider uh, Samaritans and Romans and, and raises up the place of women as representatives of God and so on. It, yeah, It just seems like God really likes to color outside the lines. Even his own lines. So, big question: What is God saying? And I found out that it's in the bylaws now that preachers are required to say "your move." Um, (laughs) So I'm I conform to the system. No, it's a good question. It really is. What What are our moves within God's moves? God's surprising and sometimes strange moves. Three questions, I'd like us to think about. Above all, and in all, are we fixing our eyes on Jesus? Are we fixing our eyes on Jesus? Uh, in anything that seems strange or surprising, He's the constant. He's the same as Hebrews will go on to say in chapter 13, he's the same, he's steady, he's faithful, yesterday and today and forever. Uh, He's he's first, he's central, he's the greatest, he's greater than all the other goats out there. Um, Are we letting him have that preeminence in our lives? Are we opening ourselves to to him as, as Melchizedek anticipated, the king of righteousness, of rightness? Are we... Opening ourselves to him as the king of, of shalom, of peace, for this broken world and the brokenness that we each have. Uh, now, that eyes fixed on Jesus includes this. Are we asking him to open our eyes to this, any way he'll show up, including various people in, in the, the kind of human priesthood, the human bridges? And I'll say more about that in just a, a minute here. But I want to raise a second question. With with the secondary bridges that point to the bridge, which is Christ, are there any ways that we get stuck? Are there any ways, just like the original Jewish Christians reading this letter, are there ways that we get stuck in good gifts that really are good, but they're less than God's very, very best are we acting almost as if they are primary, as if they are perfect, as if they are permanent? and inadvertently, missing him, missing the best? You now, speaking personally, I've had times when the Holy Spirit has had to show me ways where I was getting stuck in His gifts and missing him. Uh, for example, ways where my faith was focused more on my own believing than in Christ. There were times when I was serving more my ministry than my Lord. I found there were times when when I was almost worshiping more my worshiping. I just really liked the songs. But it's not about my worshiping, it's about Him. I found there are times when I was more devoted to my devotional practices than the one who deserved the devotion. You you follow me, the the kind of trap you can get into there? Um, Sometimes I've had to hear what Jesus told a bunch of Bible experts in His day. He said, you study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. Now, that that's nothing but good right there. You study them diligently. You think that in them you have eternal life. But these are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I mean, there's been times when I've, I've almost worshiped the Bible more than the one the Bible's all about. It doesn't take away the fact this is the authoritative word of God, but but it points beyond itself to to the living God, to Christ. And and I've never been condemned for getting stuck like that, but the Holy Spirit has to get me unstuck, to get me refocused on the one, the one it's all about, so I can keep moving on with him. Now, let me give you another example of, of, of a kind of Christ bridge system. I think it's sort of parallel in a way to the whole Levitical priesthood of Israel, but a Christ-bridging system uh, where we could get stuck. Centennial Covenant is gladly part of a a vital Christian movement called evangelicalism. Evangelicalism. It's a term, evangelicalism, that, that comes from the Greek word euangelion, which simply means good news. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a great word, evangelical, euangelion, good news. Historically, uh, historians would describe it as a movement that, that uh, puts the focus on Christ as Lord, takes the Bible seriously as God's word, um, takes seriously the gift of God's grace that saves us through simple faith and engages in, in God's mission in this world. Those would be some descriptives of this movement called evangelicalism. Our parent body, Centennial Covenant's parent body is the evangelical covenant church. And uh, I wanna say I'm really, really grateful for that identity and for that heritage. But I also have to say today that there's a lot in American evangelicalism that has me concerned embarrassed, frustrated, and worried. Here's one thing I'm concerned about. This, this could be opening a can of worms, but, you know, worms aren't all bad. Uh, you know, when you go fishing, you need them. But two gifts from God, two gifts from God, above all faith in Jesus Christ... And then another great, great gift from God, the blessing of this nation we live in, the United States of America. These two gifts have been blended, at least in the minds of some that use the term evangelical, that has been far more about a power-seeking ideology than a humble and compassionate following of Jesus. Now, let me just say that again. Our faith in Jesus and our grateful belonging to this wonderful nation have been blended into more of a power-seeking ideology than a humble and compassionate following of Jesus. And I would say one vulnerability is that uh, with these gifts, we can get stuck. We get stuck in something that's less than the very best and in fact can even be dangerous because we're missing the ultimate kingdom of God. Now, here's another vulnerability. Uh, For those of you who who might share my concern with the current American evangelicalism, one vulnerability is that we get so frustrated, we'd start to throw some babies out with the bathwater. And I've, I've got friends, especially some younger people, who are so frustrated with American evangelicalism that they're slipping away from Christ himself. They're frustrated with versions of Christianity and so they're letting Christ go. And I would say this, that whatever disillusionment we have with, with any version of Christianity, I'm just using one example, uh, it's, it, it can be a testing of our faith. And, but here's, here's an important question I'm asking myself. Am I gonna let this disillusionment, this frustration, am I gonna let it um, pull me away from Christ? Or might it be God's opportunity to get me refocused on him and him alone? Where we'd have a, almost a desperation. Oh, Jesus Christ, you are the one and only Lord. You alone are the head of the church. Would you do what you want to do and forgive us for the ways that we fall short and get stuck? Now, it leads to one one other practical question. Um, Are we open to the strange and surprising, just in general, the strange and surprising ways that God might work, but are we open to the strange and surprising Christ bridges to welcome and to be? You know, if Jesus is Lord, then he's able to show up anywhere and anyone. We're going to get to, sooner or later, to Hebrews 13. that says this, Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Looking forward to what Carl or whoever will preach on that. But I'll say a few things. I'm not sure I've directly encountered a spiritual angel. I don't know. But I tell you what, the angel, the word angel simply means messenger. And I can tell you this, I've had more than a few messengers, some of them strangers, some of them actually very strange, who have been a source of great blessing and wisdom in my life. But not unlike Melchizedek, they showed up unexpectedly, and God worked through them or gave me the occasion uh, to be to be kind of his bridge to the bridge. Let me just give you a couple examples. Uh, When I was an interim pastor in Lakewood, done that a couple times now, but up in Lakewood, Darlene and I met wonderful lady named Chris, Chris Norberg. Uh, Chris is single in late 60s, and for years she's been an avid mountain biker and snowboarder. Well, about 20 years ago, some kind of uh, genetic disorder kind of hit her, and she became legally blind. She lost pretty much most of her eyesight. And she said it was devastating, but did that stop her? Now, she's st- I've seen videos of Chris, legally blind, going down slopes that would terrify me, both on, on she has a snow bike, but also on a mountain bike, now how she does it. She's got a bunch of friends. They're all guys in their 20s. You know, she's like going on 70. <clears throat> they kind of help her. They give her some guidance. Uh, Chris, watch out for that rock, you know, that sort of thing. And they take videos of her. Uh, in fact, they call her Sister Shred. <laughs> they, um, <clears throat> they help her, but I've heard stories where all the more she helps them. How? She's become like the chaplain mom to these 20-something guys. You know, they're all radicals. Yeah, they do crazy, crazy things. But she, she's one of the few that just listens to them. They open up to her. They, she listens. She prays for them. She points them to Jesus. And Chris has told me, just in, in kind of astonishment and humility, says, you know, it's weird, Steve, this happens all the time. I just go to the store and somebody's helping me there and all of a sudden they open up to me. They just want to tell me their life story. And uh, she just has become this, it surprises herself by by just being available, even in her limitations. uh, She's become a bridge to the bridge, a bridge uh, to Jesus. And, And here's what has occurred to me. Here you've got an ordinary lady who's, Blind. She's blind, but she sees more than I do. What God is doing in other people's lives, and it's invitation to do the same. Hey, one other. Well, I don't know if I have time for this example. I'm going to do a quick version of it. We were in. uh, Darlene and I were in Charleston, South Carolina, with a group of friends who. Have been on a two-year journey to explore how Christ is is bringing down um, walls of hostility, a quote from Ephesians 2, uh, between races, and and to uh, build bonds um, in communities and our own lives and churches and so on. And uh, a lot of it, uh, we went to original slave sites and and, uh, where a lot of the civil rights movement was taking hold and so on. And a lot of it was very heartbreaking. It it was not a pleasure trip. It was was called Sankofa, an African term where you go back in order to move ahead. And it was heartbreaking. And yet, almost a surprising thing was how faith-stirring and hope-stirring it was to be, especially with our friends of color. We've known these folks for a long time. And and just to know that even as they confronted their own terrible heritage with their ancestors as slaves, uh, they... They nevertheless um, just had a joy, a Christ-reflecting joy in their lives. Uh, One of our guides there from Charleston is the one in the middle, uh, Christine, next to Darlene, uh, kind of a little lady like Darlene. uh, uh, Christine called Darlene her twin. But Christine, um, despite little formal education, became a student of her enslaved ancestors, and a brilliant ambassador of reconciliation. And uh, she works at the Charleston Slave Mart, the site where Africans were sold like cattle. But there they have a museum and a study center, and she teaches, she gives lectures, she, she's writing a book, and, and uh, was, was a great guide for us. And, and it's a surprise to her that God has raised her up to have this kind of influence on other people. The whole the whole um, Philadelphia 76ers basketball team was in Charleston last summer, and Coach Doc Rivers made the whole team of these giant basketball players take a course on racism from this little lady. He says, I I don't know why God does this, but that's the way God does it. So I've got to ask myself, you know, am am I open? Am I open to receive such surprise bridges to Christ, Christ bridges, I'll call them? Am I open to be one? Am I available? Am I getting proximate to people where, where it can actually happen? It doesn't mean you have to go on a missions trip or a Sankofa trip, but are you, going, are you walking across the street, across the office, across the classroom, across your house, where God can surprise you with the ways He wants to bless you and use you? And in general, are we, just, are we just open to whatever God's God surprises there might be? Um, you probably heard about the Asbury Spiritual Awakening, Asbury University in Kentucky, where um, in early February, there's just a day, it's a Christian college, so there was just an ordinary chapel, nothing particularly dramatic about it, but afterwards, 18 or so students who were touched by the message have you received, have you you ever been loved? They came up to the front, they said they just wanted to pray together. Well, before you know it, they were were joined by more and more students and for eight days, for eight days, not only the chapel, but almost the whole town was filled with people who just felt the need to um, offer themselves to Jesus, to admit their brokenness and their sin with a longing for God, and, and it wasn't led by anyone. Um, in fact, except the Holy Spirit. Um, somebody said the only celebrity allowed was Jesus. There were some big-name Christians that tried to come in to do their thing. They weren't allowed. And uh, this kind of thing happens, these surprise invasions by the Spirit. 1970, I was part of one where we had a multi-day time like that at a college, is <clears throat> really part of what's called the Jesus, <clears throat> sorry, the Jesus movement. And it wasn't just that a few people had spiritual highs. But Looking back at my generation, back when, when I was 19, 20 years old, um, it, it, it was a moment where life transformation began for thousands of people. And and by the way, go see the movie Jesus Revolution if you want to get some ancient history. But as as you go see it, just say, God, do it again. Keep doing it. Now, we can't engineer whatever God wants to do. It happens as God freely decides. But are we open to it? Listen to Oswald Chambers. He says, to be certain of God means that we're uncertain in all our ways, not knowing what tomorrow may bring. This is generally expressed with a sigh of sadness, But it should be an expression of breathless expectation. We're uncertain of the next step, but we are certain of God. As soon as we abandon ourselves to God and do the task he has placed closest to us, he begins to fill our lives with surprises. So are we open? Are we open? We can't engineer what God's going to do. He's sovereign. He's free. Uh, Jesus said... Uh, to Nicodemus, that the wind blows wherever it wants. But I tell you what, the wind of the Spirit tends to, tends to move toward places of, let me put it this way, low pressure. The wind of the Spirit goes to places of low pressure where there's an openness, where there's a longing, where there's a, a humility, uh, where people are crying out, God, I want you as you are. Would you fill me all the more with more of you filling more of me? And um, today I'm asking myself, I'd ask you, are we open to the surprises of God, however strange they might seem? Uh, I want to invite the worship team to come up. We're going to enter into a time of prayer. And uh, we're going to sing a song that confesses what we could do, what we could do. Uh, We could just sit and wait before God. that's, That's okay. We could just stay where we are, and that's not necessarily bad. We could just cling to the way things are. We could just do everything we can to stay safe. I would say to kind of stay stuck. But the song gives us words to say, in essence, what what if we fixed our eyes on Jesus and and, and, and dared to, to trust that he's good and allow him to take us wherever he wants to take us and to do whatever he wants to do. Uh, Let's pray together as we sing.